Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders in the hospitality and restaurant industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's podcast, I'm extremely excited to be talking with Lars Kuo Yu. Lars is an international leadership and HR advisor, trainer, author, and keynote speaker. He has written the international bestseller, Organizational Happiness, and are the co-creator of the engagement tool, Motivational Landscape. I sat down with Lars to talk about leadership, organizational and individual happiness, and how you can transform organizations through finding purpose, leverage your strength, and developing compassion. Remember to grab your notebook, lots of nuggets to get down on paper and put into action in this podcast. Enjoy! Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast. I'd taken the plane this morning from London and all the way to the Danish wilderness north from Copenhagen to meet a very, very special guy that will talk about happiness in a second. And he's called Lars Kur Yule, trusted advisor and uh, HR executive. Is that the right way to present you, Lars? Yeah, that's fine. And you were, you're so kind to in, invite me out here to your beautiful place. We're sitting and looking directly into the wilderness. And, <laughs> yeah, and there's no bears, if you think that in Denmark, there's no bears. And this no. is the first time, Lars, there's a Danish person on the, the podcast. Okay. Lars, can you Thank tell you. a bit about uh, your story and, uh, and what you've been up to beside you? You know a lot about leadership and, and happiness and so on. Sure. Thank you for having me. You're yeah. welcome. Very excited about it and uh, also to talk about something I'm very passionate about. Yeah, so my story, it, uh, my professional story, started 25 years ago, graduating as a, as a lawyer, working in the beginning of the 90s, working in the IT industry as a corporate lawyer. At that time, in the beginning of the 90s, there was a lot going on, merchants and acquisitions, IT, buying and selling companies and things like that. So that was my first job, working for a British American company covering the Nordic region. And after maybe three, four years into the corporate lawyer, merchants and acquisition uh, avenue, I realized I felt that what really made a difference in terms of when you are merging or acquiring or actually integrating companies, what really made a difference was not really the lawyers, but maybe it was more the uh, looking at the people. Who is it that you would like to work together? How do you retain people? How do you keep top talent? I think also now when I work from nature, organization development perspective, not many organizations are good at integrating companies. Uh, not many mergers and acquisitions are well resolved in a well-integrated entity. So at that time, I was more into that. And then I spent some time at Howard and Inset and trying to learn the professionalism of being a people guy or an HR guy mm. or having a corporate role within HR. So the last almost 25 years, I've been in corporate roles, having teams of HR. Everything I've done is, has kind of been within HR, organization development, leadership, being in corporate roles or in, as a consultant. Now I have uh, my own consulting company in Copenhagen, uh, yeah. working out of Copenhagen with a wide range of, of global international organizations. I try to spend half of my time in uh, Copenhagen. That's where my home and uh, and family is. And but other, other than that, it's a, I have a very international perspective around HR, organization development, leadership. Yeah, and you're often in Costa Rica. If you follow him on, on LinkedIn or other social channels, you will see he's often uh, in a very nice place in South America. <laughs> 
That's right. I have a connection with uh, with UPS, which is a UN mandated peace university in Costa Rica. Beautiful place. If you have a chance to go there, you should. Twice a year, I or maybe even more, I go to Costa Rica. I teach a course at the university, and I also have some clients there, corporate clients. So I teach a course together with partners at the university called Positive Leadership. Yeah, well, I think we will touch on that in, yeah. in a moment. And you're an author as well. Oh yeah. And you have a, you have brought your your books here today. I can see you're flashing them uh, yeah i'm flashing them wherever i can you know we published this one in november organizational happiness i'm sitting with here the yeah. happiness sweet spot and your motivational landscape that's right it's a book i had in me for years i think mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it was not until late la- or maybe in the middle of last year i decided to have to do something about it i published in uh, late november i didn't publish it to be a famous author i published it because i thought there was something i want to share a message about organization happiness that's really my my desire and my purpose on this one and i tried to i mean the academic in me wanted to present academic theories and cases and things like that but i ended up cutting most of that out because I think there is a need for a more how-to from an organization perspective. How do you work with organizational happiness? And the book was so well received. At the beginning of December, I received an email from someone and I saw it was number one in Japan or something. That was the first first time I realized there was really a pull on, on the message. You're always a little vulnerable when you send out something like that and yeah. then say how is it received in the market yeah, it exactly. ended up being number one in a lot of geographies and, yeah uh, amazon bestseller says in front of the book we'll we'll, I, we'll throw a link in the, in, the, in the podcast so tell tell us a bit about what is the book is about like what is i guess it's, it's your philosophy it's your take on how you do it the book is uh trying to give you a recipe for working with organization happiness by introducing the three pillars of organizational happiness it's purpose is strength and it's compassion so that's mm-hmm. the three pillars it's not a one-size-fits-all model i don't believe in one-size-fits-all it's a model that you can work with an organization finding your happiness sweet spot your sweet spot within these two areas some organizations are very strong on purpose they have mm-hmm. a, a narrative or very the storytelling around them it's it's easy so maybe you don't need to do so much around that. So maybe you're more focused on, on strength and, and compassion. But on the back of that, there's also a tool in that book, uh, a platform where you can measure in a simple way on organization happiness, employee engagement, whatever you call it. So a measurement platform, a digital platform. A digital platform that works across platforms where we have developed, yes, we have developed 10 questions. So you ask 10 questions on a regular, regular basis so you know where are you with this? What's, what's your baseline when you start working with it? You can follow up, measure, monitor, and follow up on, on the organizational happiness KPI. One of the things we, we both praise is you need to know your purpose. I call it purpose and direction. Because if you don't have that, what do you have then? Because what are you going to hang things on? Why are you doing what you're doing? And Simon Sinek, you also admire Simon Sinek's work. I know it's some of the conversation we had before. He also said starts for why. So why is purpose so important i guess it always has been important but why more than ever do organization need to stop up and actually reflect if their purpose muscle if you can say something is strong enough or exactly clear enough for not only the leadership team but for from top to the front line where yeah. the, the real work is done yeah i think there's a couple of things that, and i think it's a little more complex than that because i think what you're doing there is talking into your organizational purpose mm-hmm. and i think also i think that's 
very very important for a lot of reasons for direction and just like you're saying from my perspective on an organization development point of view one of the very important reasons for having a clear heartfelt purpose that is more than profit to the shareholders mm -hmm. for your organization is to attract talent attract top talent and retain talent and so this Storytelling around it, the some organizations call it uh, their employer value proposition. But yeah. whatever, how you go to the market and how you tell your story, that's what makes you proud of being a part of that organization. Yeah. And I think there is a mega trend right now. It's the, I mean, the baby boomers are retiring right now. Mm -hmm. So it's getting more and more difficult to attract talent. Or there is a war for talent, as some yeah. people call it. Don't like that expression very no. much, but or talent but crisis. I don't. Talent like crisis is a good. Yeah, that's right. But that's not a good word either. But uh, <laughs> it's also a lack of. Word, but at but least there is a competition somehow, yeah, and I yeah. see that when I work with others. Right now, I, I feel what I see, but of course that's not very uh, scientific. But what I see with my organizations, my clients, is that it's it's more difficult to attract talent, and a part of that is your purpose your storytelling around that. And for some organizations, it's very easy. For some NGOs, for UN, as I mentioned, it's easy to tell that story, yeah. peace building or whatever. And for some organizations, it's something you have to develop. Yeah. It's something, a heartfelt purpose you have to develop. And even for some, as I see it right now, that there is a, there's some industries where they really struggle to tell that story. It could be tobacco companies, it could be Coca-Cola. Marmite organizations in principle. Marmite organizations. Yeah. What does that mean? In my world, that's, you know, either you, you, you can have compassion and think that's okay, they're here, or you mm -hmm. just think that's the worst organization on the planet. McDonald's is one of those as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you have to build a story. I mean, you, you cannot live without no. that story. So you even, whatever your product, your organization, your culture yeah. is, you have to build that story. And then I think we, you and I, and people who are managers or consultants or advising organizations, sometimes we, I think we take it a little too far, a little too high level, the, the purpose thing, because then it's just something you put into the annual reporting or whatever. You, you strategy documents. Strategy so. documents, it's words, but it's not really something that you act on. And and I think if you look at, at a global workforce, I would say that 80% of the global workforce, they are in a job because they need to support their family and pay for education for their children and things like that. On the purpose side, I think there's a duality. There is, as an organization, you need to have one, a strong one that, that speaks to the persons you want to attract or the employees or the potential employees. Yeah. But also that, that you need to accept that not everybody has that purpose but it just needs to resonate with the people in your organization your purpose needs to resonate with the employees purpose maybe they have a different personal purpose and that i think also simon Sinek, as you said works with that the personal why why yeah. am i here what is that yeah. can i hang it up on what i'm joining yeah and sometimes we're, we're a little too competent i think in talking about purpose because for many many people they go to work because they need food on the table. And, and on top of that, it's nice if they can be proud about what it is that we're doing in the organization, because yeah. that's, that's why they will be in that organization for a long time, I think. I think it's very interesting you said, because one of our programs as well, focusing as well, the first step is to define and clarify the 
purpose because all have it at some point a company started often because there was a founder and i know there will be founders to put out just to do profit but most founders actually start out with they want to change something in the world mm -hmm. be a small thing but it's something that kind of impact the local community or the environment and so on and it doesn't have to be to save the planet always it can just be you know want to create jobs locally safe job locally in a remote area or something like that and it could be a strong purpose for my local business um like danfoss it's a mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. strong local community mm -hmm. in, in southern Denmark I've been part of that organization you can feel there's a strong commitment to the local economy it sometimes it becomes a bit like a high-flying word as well like saving the world it doesn't have to be it can be other things it can be small things as you said and I think you're right and the basics still have to be in place because people have to pay the bills keep the light on in the house as I call it and I think that's again you know the basic has to work and then you can start looking into a purpose and, and so on Mm -hmm. afterwards so purpose making that much more tangible and making it much more actionable you say that's mm -hmm. part of the book and then you said compassion the compassion part is when we talk about organizational happiness and compassion it's words that in some boardrooms <laughs> it's an alien concept or they that we think that it doesn't have a place in the workplace i think that's changing right now it's shifting i think a lot of organizations a lot of leaders are looking for or looking into organizational happiness yeah. and the same goes for compassion as, as actually one of the three pillars it's i think compassion and compassion in this concept is defined as an interest in the difficulties of other people and a burning desire to do something about it that's leadership in my opinion of course it's empathy some people will say it's empathy but it's yeah. not just that because empathy is very often a passive thing but it's a burning desire to do something about it that's action behind that's action behind it and it's not just action it's it's a desire to do it right i don't think you can have leadership without compassion and i think when we do programs on compassion it, it's very much about seeing individuals as they are not just as a human resource it's mm. a it's of seeing people as individuals as a father as a husband or as a wife or as a, whoever they are yeah. and understand what makes them tick how can i best make them succeed in that job and it requires from, from a manager point of view or leader point of view it requires a lot of ability to present and have attention that's yeah. difficult things in this world I yeah. Guess. yeah it's getting more and more difficult i think to be present uh, because we have all these devices that yeah. <laughs> kind of takes attention and we have also in many organizations there are cultures that it's okay for you and i to have a conversation and i can pick up the phone which is uh, it completely disrupts maybe that's not the, the good work but it it it, it makes the it connection the connection that we had breaks and we have to establish it again yeah so we there's a cultural thing i think and then there's a, all the devices that we have we can we have a watch that can see my text messages mm. while we are talking i can uh, i mean and it kind of takes away my attention and uh, presence right uh, so that's a big part i think of of compassion or being compassionate and and what we emphasize in programs when we do leadership training we have a program called organization happiness for leaders and on the compassion part we are working on how do you cultivate a culture of compassion which is a practice thing i mean you need to 
practice simple things. I guess it's like a muscle as well, compassion. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's, it's not, you can, you're not saying you can either have it or not, but everybody has compassion. Did we born with it to yeah. make people feel safe? As Simon Sinek says, well, we're born with that ability, but we sometimes forget that in the, you know, world we live in that actually there's more than us and our screen mm -hmm. and, and we actually need to train that muscle maybe we're actually losing an ability we were actually grown up with that we actually had you know yeah very, uh, i agree with that that's uh that's a, i think that's a good observation and i think i don't know if we lost it or if or we kind of we get too busy in our own head or mind mm. uh or, but but i would say compassion very often comes from a spiritual place so that's yeah. the conversation we have but in this uh, of course we can have that conversation but not many organizations really can participate in that spiritual conversation no. oh. but i think if we talk about compassion and leadership as interconnected being a compassionate leader is actually very very effective yeah. if you want to motivate and move organizations compassion is a very very effective tool so so coming from that side do you want to be an effective leader most leaders would say yes to that mm -hmm. <laughs> how can i do that and very often we, we then see ourselves as okay we need to be tough to be effective but we need some but, uh, time management skills and yeah and you need i need to faster, better, tell you what to do yeah. and uh, go and do it and if you're not doing it we have performance management system and we have all these things we build around being tough managers maybe but actually i, I think that research also says that if you want to motivate move people change behavior the soft part the, the compassion part is a lot more effective than the tough part yeah. which is a little mind-boggling but it's like like is compassion also saying that i made a mistake as a leader like being is that part of as well compassion besides that you care for the people also that you you are open and honest when you make mistake yeah yeah because i think trust it, comes in here as well yeah it's compassion and and i Compassion is also a building block for trust. Mm. <laughs> and again, trust is a building bl block for performance mm. and teamwork, right? Yeah. I, I, so I think there is a connection there. And I think the part of, as a manager, being, being a person that doesn't know everything, yeah. but have a real interest in that you, as a part of my team, succeed. How can I best help you succeed? Yeah. And if you're doing that, it's... High performance, it's a winning strategy for, for our organization if you look at it that way. And I think what you also pointed or what I thought about when you when you said that it was uh, the thing about not knowing all, it's also from a from a leader perspective, it's showing a little bit of vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that if you show that, that creates a loyalty and a trust at the other end. Some of the most impactful bosses I have myself, they sometimes they said to me, I don't know, Michael, but I will find out. I will help you in the right direction or find somebody that can help you. And, you know, first time you think, oh, when you were younger, you should know that or she should know that answer. Yeah. But actually, that's quite the most powerful thing you can do. You know, you buy yourself time and you buy yourself respect and trust yeah. uh, by giving yourself that. And then again, it becomes like a skill they use because we talked in the way up here in the car about leadership skills. Yeah. You can, you, there's all these, you know, models, the grow models, there's feedback models, there is performance management models, et cetera, et cetera, and different HR models about how to, to manage teams and organizations. But that's not what it's about. It's this, you know, glue, the compassion that you approach and how you take these models and find your own way to use them. Because they're great models, but they're not better than 
the way you use them and how often you train in using them in the right way with the right intention i think Dalai Lama says the right view and the right right action or something like that you have to have the right view in life and the right action mm-hmm. and you have to evaluate every decision you make on that did you have the right view was that with the best for you and the world around you mm-hmm. and did you take the right action from the insights you got mm-hmm. do you have some knowledge you should action on or should you mm-hmm. not action on it as well you need to make those reflections all the time and that's very spiritual but again yeah. he comes down to compassion as well yeah he, yeah. he, he, yeah. he thinks the world has to be more compassion and happy It's all about happiness. But I think that points into when you talk about leadership skills. And we also talked about this on on the way up in the car. And we talked about, I mean, we cannot all be Richard Branson or or Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa or whatever role models we have. We need to find our own way of being authentic what's inside me how can i bring myself into my leadership role and i think that's the third pillar now we had purpose compassion and that's talking about strength which is really i also like the word uh, superpower what's your superpower this is about strength-based leadership Yeah. there's a lot of experts around this and uh, yeah. and books and things and so but this is really about what's my superpower i need to know my superpower and i need to know the superpowers of my team as a leader and you need to have a way of having those conversations about strengths or superpowers because i think very often what happens it happens in organization is that we have the yearly performance review or whatever it's called <laughs> annual appraisal and we spend most of the time talking about weaknesses that we need to develop yeah gaps gaps room for improvement or whatever it is we call it and we spend most of our training budget on weaknesses weaknesses that if you spend a lot of hours and money yeah. on it you might turn out to be just half good at that yeah and it's not a winning strategy it's a it's a losing strategy the winning strategy is talking about your superpowers and How can I identify my superpowers? How can I tell my organization about the superpowers so they know how they can bring me into play? And how can I bring myself into play for the purpose of the organization? That's a winning strategy, but it sounds easy. But we are all kind of brought up with with this agenda for the yearly appraisal or whatever that we we yeah. talk about weaknesses. I get it because I'm, I've been a part of that corporate world. But I see organization changing that agenda by having different language talking about superpowers yeah how do we complement each other and very often like i think it was peter Droger said it i think he said the role of a manager is to align the strengths mm-hmm. so the weaknesses get irrelevant right yeah and I, i very much subscribe to that and i think the organizations that succeed in doing that having different agendas talking of different in different ways about strengths and weaknesses it's very noticeable and it's very effective i think the, the results are very um, clear i think when you start talking about superpowers instead yeah. of when you look at the uh, i said training budgets and things like i mean there is a good business case in terms of how you spend your money but also yeah. how you how that will affect your your, uh, your, performance. your performance right so But it's interesting. Uh, we, uh, I think it's about a month ago, a bit longer maybe. We had uh, Dr. John uh, Mervin on the on the on, yeah. the on the podcast, and he was talking about the GC index. And it's about game changers. So they got they created a psychometrics tool on demand of the market because the market wanted to find these incredible, high performing Richard Branson stars <laughs> they could hire into the corporate world. And they found out that everybody is actually a game changer. 
they just get energy from different things. Yeah. So he talks about there's the game changers, the visionary to see, you know, the impossible nobody have seen and create that future. Then you have the strategic people that can make sense out of this and make a plan. Then you have the you have the implementer, which is the people that get stuff done. So they take, oh, this is the plan. They implement the plan to get it done. Then you have the polisher that refines the plan and make sure it really works to the nuts and bolts. Then you need the playmakers as well to make everybody glue together and work and build you know the alignment it's not about emotional intelligence they're just good at making teams working together and bridge those gaps there is in, in teams that they they like to be surrounded by people and they they find out in that work there's no perfect profile you can't you can't define that and it, and it was very interesting he talked a lot about you know that thing where do you actually get your energy from yeah find out as your leader where are your blind spot where you're never going to get energy hire people in on those roles and just make sure they can play that role most of their time you cannot do that 100% we all need to implement we all need to polish but make sure that you most of the time do what actually your your profile says that you're you're getting energy from and i think that's that's a very important thing to know as a manager as well both yourself and your team as you said yeah i think i, I think that's a very good example i think of i was just thinking while you were talking i, I thought about all organizations now many organizations have a talent management strategy right yeah and these talent management strategy this is i think in my in my view or let me say it another way in some organizations talent is defined as something that only 5% or 3% has. Yeah. But I think it's a wrong view. I think you, you need to accept or look at your organizations like everybody has talent. Mm. Everybody has a strength or a superpower. We need to find out what it is mm. and we need to find out how to bring that into play, which is really talent management, right? Yeah, leadership, isn't it? Yeah. I, I normally say managers uh, create employees, leaders create leaders. Mm. because you need to find out who succeed you that's yeah. your job and then when you get your work on your three circles or yeah. i call it the muscle right now maybe that's i'm breaking your concept a bit but and then you find your sweet spot you say mm -hmm. when do you know when you have the sweet spot what's happening in an organization when they hit the sweet spot it's depending what your baseline is yeah i think so you finding your sweet spot is something that you are, are working with all the time i think but the measurement part, I think it's very important because it, it, this organization of happiness, it's not, it's not what I would call hippie happy thing. Mm. It's, uh, it's not about pool tables or playing soccer in, 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 at lunchtime. It's not that this is a real thing around strength-based leadership, having a strong purpose and working with leadership and compassion. And I think what happens when you are close to the sweet spot then you start measuring if you have a sweet spot score mm. it goes up but that also means that the performance goes up you can see it on the organization and the, the business case that you build on this i mean we have a long list of business cases in it but it's quite substantial the business cases you can build depending on your industry where you started from and things but it's business cases like up to 31 percent in productivity productivity is one thing profit customer satisfaction which is i mean we all know what, what that means yeah. <laughs> if you have satisfied customers i mean the, the business case around this is it's so massive that there's a lot of things that goes up you could say and there's a lot of things that goes down like sick leaves turnover things like that and the business cases around some of these some of these are real business kpis like revenue profit customer loyalty yeah. satisfaction and turnover like. as well like turnover as well expensive. and some of them are very close to hr i would say also these are really hr kpis that you measure on like retention or yeah. 
and and so on. turnover burnout sick leave things like that and so the the business case is massive around it and i recommend that you that when you start working with this with organization happiness you can call it whatever you want i call it organization happiness some organizations call it uh, employee engagement yeah. <laughs> which is also i don't care what you call it but i think it's organization happiness but that you that you start by establishing a baseline, a real baseline, so you start measuring on it so you can follow your business case, so you can document your business case. Because very often these initiatives, they take some time. It's not a lot of money. I think very often we talked about training budgets and things. It's sometimes just moving your resources or using your resources in a different way, You also your financial resources or your budgets. But then you need to track it to show the results and you need to keep at it. So I very much recommend to measure and follow your business case so you build it. And at some point, you need, unless you're working directly with the board, maybe I'm just working with a team that needs to prove it to the CEO. Or yeah. At some point, someone will ask you, so what's going on here? What's happening? What's this happy thing? Yeah. And then you have your business case. Right? Who is responsible for organizational happiness? Let's just call it that because engagement, you call as well, is often put down in HR. But uh, I often say that people don't leave a business, they leave their leaders. So who is responsible for this? There's a lot of conversation going on in, you know, in a, also when we meet clients, you know, often, you know, the, the C-suite is not involved in this from the beginning. Some some C-suites bring this in, but uh, who is responsible for organizational happiness? And one example I want to get the first, I think it was my first position as vice president HR in an IT company. And we asked, I, I did this exercise of asking, what's the role of HR because we wanted to have a new strategy. And some of the response that we get was from the managers. The role of HR is uh, employee engagement it's, uh, <laughs> and things like that. I was totally blown away by that because it's. It, I don't think it's the role of HR to create or establish uh, employee engagement or even organization. I think it's the role of the leaders, the people who have people responsibility, you could say. But I think some of this is a little bit of a change. I talked about strength-based leadership. It demands a different way of speaking, conversation. So in some organizations, there's also a structural thing you need to change a little bit. You need to introduce maybe a new process, new tool and things like that. That's an HR exercise, I think. So you yeah. need to offer tools. give and structure things. A structure to the manager so they have a handle but from there on it's it's up to the managers to work on organization happiness an example is i think it's a good i, I hope it will be a good example because we just did it two weeks ago but we trained 130 managers from one company so they want to roll out their organizational happiness and this is like 130 managers responsible for almost 4,000 uh, employees. In, in the, it started as a core group within HR and, and thing, yeah. but then they made a roadmap which started with 130 managers, giving them tools to roll out some of this. Right? And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see how that goes and hopefully I can be a part of it. It sounds like you're doing uh, some serious impact and change. So if we take like, because there's been a lot of talk about engagement, there's never been put more money in. It's one of the, you know, you know massive focus. Harvard Business School writes a lot about engagement and, and, and organizational happiness, as you call it, well, a lot about. Is, has it really moved into the companies? Have the companies actually, you know, because people want actually to. No, they talk about generations. They talk about this, the, the younger generation, the millennials and so on, the ones at different place to work. But I don't think it's different 
from age we all want to work in a safe place and a place where we love to come and go home and bring joy and when we come home have companies are they still behind from where society is moving in a way and from from how we we run and manage businesses yeah i think so of course some organizations are behind or trying to catch up or or maybe we see it when we have difficulties attracting the, the talent that we need we need then we find out if you have to implement a strategy and don't have the resources or, or the talent. But I think the thing around engagement as a concept or employee engagement, I think I think last year in October, Gallup did a did a survey. I think it was an American workforce, and they asked, "So, do you find yourself to be highly engaged?" Hmm. And I think the response was that 34%, which was an 80-year all-time high, something like that, 34% said, yes, I'm an engaged employee. And just that picture, I I think we all get it. (laughs) Mm. We we get it that if you're a happier, healthier, more motivated employee, there's a lot of performance and success from a business perspective in that. And if you have a number like 34%, you can see the potential in there. How do you unlock the rest, which yeah. must be 66% probably yeah. if, if yeah. it's the hundred is the total. Yeah. <laughs> How do you unlock that? And I want to a little, I would just want to touch a little bit on that because I think many consultants are talking about unlocking potential. Yeah, it's a, it's a very thrown around phrase, yeah. Yeah, and we also talk about transformation, disruption, uh, big change, uh, yeah. th- things like that. And I don't like those words. No. <laughs> transformation is a negative word. Yeah, yeah, yeah it could be. Yeah. We use these words as trying to drive a change. Yeah. And, and what it does to our organization is that it limits our organization. We, it's a threat. We get yeah. a little bit afraid, so we dock and we don't release the potential we already have there. Yeah. What I think we do with the happiness sweet spot or the, the, the organizational happiness is that we try to unlock the potential that you already have. The last 66% when we talk about that. And that's not a frightening story. Nope. <laughs> it's, not a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a compelling story. It's a story that how can I use my superpowers? Because I know if I use my superpower to achieve something greater for the purpose of the company, yeah. there's a happiness in it for me also, right? And, and how do I cultivate a more compassionate leadership culture in my organization? This is a key or tool to unlock, but without the threat of disrupt and transform or big change or whatever we call it. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes I think the, the push that we do with those words, it's, we're not doing the organization a favor. And sometimes we're doing it every six months. We have a new disruption or a new transformation. And I, and I think that will just put a lid on how you can unlock potential. Because people also will perceive words differently. Some yeah. would perceive them harder, others would perceive them. Oh, just another, another thing happening in a way. I think you're right, words is one of the most powerful things you have as a leader and as a human being. Uh, where you really can change people both you know positive and negative positive leadership you do as well would you want to touch quite shortly on what is positive leadership? there's a bit <laughs> of a rumbling in the background that's because we are in the wilderness and there's a thunder <laughs> coming i think and uh, you can hear a bit of rain in the background so so yeah <laughs> we are here out in the you know it's this place is called Cua Vida. yeah uh, organizational <laughs> happiness hq i forgot to say that in the beginning <laughs> 
Yeah, let me talk about the, the. I wanted to say that this place is called Cura Vida. It's taking from it, the notion in Costa Rica. Every time when you walk around Costa Rica, and you yeah. say Pura Vida, ah. which is pure life, and it's like hi or it's yeah. a greeting ah. thing. So that's where it comes from. This one. And so Pura it, is the, the family middle name. Yeah, that's it? my family name. So, yeah, so, yeah, so that's, that's why we call it. Yeah, that's quite cool. <laughs> and positive leadership. I think a little bit of a uh, background on that. I, I think positive leadership and positive psychology yeah there you go there you go yeah. we are here in the wilderness which has been a thing for the last 20 years maybe yeah. uh, just in broad terms i think one of my uh, inspirations on uh, positive psychology is dr martin seligman he talks not about happiness he talks about flourishing which is i think it's the same thing yeah. uh, and his perma model so that model is also linked to the organization concept here. Positive leadership is a thing, but it's also a course that we're running a couple of times a year in Costa Rica at UPs, which is actually built on the organizational happiness concept and give potential leaders or leaders uh, a toolcase for, for to take the positive leadership and, and bring them into their leadership discipline. I think for me, it's, it's not a, just about being positive, which is a nice thing. I mean, happiness and positive, and it's a, it's like everybody gets it. But for me, in a, in an organization development and leadership perspective, it's about how can you best move your organization in the right direction. How can you be an effective leader? And I believe positive leadership and the things we talked about earlier is that's the most effective leadership style you can have. And I think there's a lot of cases to prove that. And I guess it comes down to the way you view things, the energy you, you put behind, and then also how you action on them. Uh, leadership really comes to life when you action on it, I normally say to people. So that's when, how you do things. It's like, uh, do you spend a, you know, a difficult conversation? Do you actually take your time really to prepare and really do that conversation in the right way or or if you don't do it in the right way you're following up to make sure it gets right because sometimes you get things wrong in difficult conversation mm. because leadership is about difficult conversation but often what i've seen sometimes is leader rush to the because they are they are people problems they call them <laughs> and we just need to get on with business so we just need to have this conversation quick and then i can get on with my to-do list but actually if you just spend a bit more time with that conversation and prep a bit more that conversation will you can actually turn it to a positive sometimes because yeah. you actually you know you get a build a relationship because you're going to be it's going to be vulnerable conversation yeah. yeah if you're ready for that yeah i agree where did you get inspired from we just talked about simon sinek we already touched on but who's your who's your heroes and all all this and took you on this journey you mentioned a couple already but there's other other people in the world that inspire you and to do the things you do because i guess it's not always easy to talk about organizational happiness i, I think some of the work done around purpose and why yeah. simon cynic we mentioned that. that i think he's brilliant it's best there is i mean many of us kind of lean on that yeah when you do a thing i think on the positive leadership side i think the groundwork that dr martin seligman has done is very very good and very inspiring taking something hmm. that is quite complex and making it actionable okay. like we were trying like i'm trying to do with the organization happiness book here also i think on the compassion side without being too competent and spiritual about it i think dalai lama is uh, some someone that always has a that humorous touch of being uh, compassionate and also the pursuit of happiness uh, also yeah. on a personal level and things yeah. so. so that's someone i 
of course look up to but it's also inspired by there's probably someone else i should say my mm. wife uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that, that sounds quite reasonable in the end of the podcast we always uh, ask the guests to give an advice to leaders out there and uh, what would your advice be i think this it's very good idea to give leaders advice because that's what you do normally what what would you one advice be to leaders out there no matter what level they're on if they want to become a more effective leader what should they ask themselves or what should they go and do pay attention and be present mm-hmm. very good advice so listen it's probably more than that but you, you can interpret the how you want but it's, it's like that Paying attention and be present, it's a very, very difficult thing. And, and, and I think if you're able to, to be present with one person just for two minutes, mm-hmm. and not very many persons are on the receiving end of two minutes of presence with their boss. But if you experience it and if you can do it as a manager, and this is something you can train. If you can do it as a man, you can move mountains. So that I think that would be a short advice on uh, Yeah, also a very, very relevant one in the the time age we live in. If you want to know more about organizational happiness and and Lars, where where do I go and find you? Where can I find you? You can buy the book on Amazon, of course. You can buy the book on Amazon if you want. I'm on LinkedIn, happy to connect. Uh, There's a lot of things happening on LinkedIn right now. I think there's a lot of good conversations going on. I like that very much. Uh, There is a website called organizationalhappiness.com. There's the happinesssweetspot.com. And on the measurement side, something that we're trying to do more about right now the motivationallandscape.com yeah. that's a place where you can start measuring and that's a tool that we kind of put a lot of work into and now we're offering it motivationallandscape.com is a good place to start that links to all the other places and i think it also links to my linkedin yeah we'll put some stuff in uh, the, <laughs> in the in the in the podcast and then you can of course find him here on the podcast as well last thank you very much for inviting uh, me out here in the danish wilderness and we had a bit of thunder uh, no bears yet they haven't <laughs> come down from sweden and we and talked about you know something you know i'm personally very passionate about as well and try to live every day as well which is hard but uh, it has to be done we have to make a better place than we received it in hopefully uh, i will come across you again and you will be on the podcast in a couple of years and you have some amazing stories to tell and as you have transformed more companies seems like you are starting on with 130 managers there's something big coming yeah thank you very much thank you for interesting and good conversation i i, I like that very much to talk about organizational happiness it's definitely an inspiring conversation that's all we had time for today Thank you, Lars, for sharing your thoughts and approaches on how to build organizational and individual happiness through finding a clear purpose, finding your strengths, and being compassionate. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, review, share, or let us know what you think. Thanks to Let's Talk Video Production for your ongoing assistance. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and sign up to our newsletter at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening, and be Maverick.